Blog Talk Radio. I always wait for that Blog Talk Radio. I have to tell you guys out there in Off the Shelf, when I first started over here in Blog Talk Radio, I always like to give a shout-out to Neil Blake at Rainbow Soul where we started uh, almost 12 years ago. But I used to start into my intro, and then it's a Blog Talk so now I pause and I wait. I want to welcome all of you out there, whether you're tuning in over the Internet, over the phone. There's so many ways. You can you can listen to Off the Shelf at iTunes. There's so many ways to join and listen to Off the Shelf. Wherever you are listening, dialed in from, I just want to thank you and welcome you to the winning book radio show, Off the Shelf. This is our our first Saturday in February 2016 for those who celebrate Valentine's Day. It's it's coming up. It's coming up soon, and I hope you're you're looking forward to it for those who, who do celebrate that holiday. You guys, we have an awesome author on deck for you today for the days off the shelf, and I can't wait to introduce you to her. But first, I like to start, and I started this again a couple of weeks ago, by planting just a seed of thought in, in your mind as our listeners. And today's thought is, you are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. You are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. And the author of that quote is C.S. Lewis. You are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. There's something that you might want to think about. You might want to think about through the week, and we'll give you another great quote next Saturday. So off-the-shelf listeners, I wanted to ask, and I ask you guys often, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Are you really good at fingering the person who's responsible for doing something, whether you are reading a book or watching a movie? And another question I want to ask you is how much do you value relationships and love? And how long would you wait to experience a once-in-a-lifetime romance, something that could really lighten up your entire life? How long would you wait, not only bless you, but the other people around you who witness and see this relationship unfold? If you're a good mystery sleuth, because there's a murder mystery in this book, can you figure out who done it before it's revealed in the story? And if you value relationships, I really believe you will love, love Pour Over Me. And it's available in print and in ebook format. You can get it at any bookseller because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. All you have to do is go up to any bookseller and say you want to get Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can special order it for you if you don't see it on bookstore shelves. So please go out and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me because I think you will absolutely love it, love the book. That's why I want you to get a copy. And if you get a copy, please let me know how you enjoyed it. So remember, Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest today. And our special guest today is Debbie Zello, and she joins a long line, and I do mean a long line of fabulous, awesome guests we have had on off-the-shelf over the years. Some of our guests, I, I tell you guys, have gone on to do 
phenomenal things, and a lot of you have seen our guests on television around the world, and you probably don't know. They were on off the shelf. Now, Debbie is a prolific author. She's written and published seven novels, and included among her novels are The Kiss Me Chronicles, Shadows of Him, Romancing Broadway, Raising Wren, and Cowboys and Elizabeth. She loves to travel. Debbie is an avid traveler and a lover of American history. I'm, I'm sure she probably entwines some history in her novels. And you can find each of Debbie, Debbie's books at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. We are honored, and we got to get her uh, website URL before we go too far into the interview. But we're honored and excited to have Debbie Zello, and that's Z-E-L-L-O, with us here on Off the Shelf Book Talk Radio this morning. Welcome, welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. This is quite an honor. Yeah, yeah. and to really our listeners, I- her voice... To our listeners, her voice was gone last week, so we are we are truly uh, uh, not. And then a week before, so we're really glad to have Debbie here with us. And her voice sounds phenomenal, just f- fabulous today. So we we're grateful for that. Before we go any further, uh, this wasn't among the questions that I had in my research, but I always like to give our listeners our guests website so they can go over there just like i do and you you look at the book covers and you can read free excerpts and read the author's bio and learn more about what's going on with the author if you have a website debbie could you would you be share that with our off-the-shelf listeners now oh my goodness yes i do uh my website is www.debbiezello.com so that's pretty easy and self-explanatory i'm also on facebook Deborah Zello, which is my given name, D-E-B-O-R-R-A, Zello. Um, I am on Twitter. Um, all the usual, you know, social media outlets. Um, I'm not exactly active on Twitter or Instagram. Um, it's mostly Facebook. So uh, please find me. That'd be great. Well, thank you, thank you. And again, to our listeners, that's Debbie Zello, D-E-B-B-I-E-Z as in zebra, E-L-L-O.com, D-E-B-B-I-E-Z-E-L-L-O.com. So you can hop over to her website, DebbieZello.com, even as you enjoy today's show as you learn more about Debbie Zello today. Now, to give our off-the-shelf listeners a bit of background, I always start with this one question on our guests. So if you would you please tell us where you grew up, Debbie, and what life was like for you growing up? Well, I was born in Philadelphia, believe it or not, um, but we left there when I was around a year old, and we moved to Connecticut, which was actually my mother's home state. Um, growing up was pretty average, uh, you know, nothing remarkable, except that my mother was a lover of history, and so that was instilled in me also. Um, I have a special fondness for the Civil War, which uh, several of my books do have Civil War references in them, and actually Elizabeth is uh, entirely takes place during the Civil War. So, um, other than that, I, you know, I had a pretty average, normal upbringing. And so, was it just you and your parents, or you have any siblings? 
Yes, I do. I have um, a sister and a brother. Okay, okay. The Civil War. So when did you start? How, how old were you? Did your mother teach history? You said your mother enjoyed history. And how old were you when you started getting really interested in history that goes back that far? Um, I My mother wasn't a teacher, no. Uh, we just always went around to Civil War battlefields and uh, spent a lot of time in Boston, um, in Valley Forge, you know, all those areas, just, you know, studying our American roots. Oh, okay. That, so that's how – I know I covered a story when I was writing for um, – America Online, and I covered a story for one of their local pageants. They would do. You never know how um, much interest is in something until you get into it. You never know. And how many people are interested in Civil War? And they do these reenactments, and they did one in uh, Philadelphia, and then the Chamonix, actually out by Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, in the Chamonix Park. And the numbers of people that came out, I was like, oh, my gosh, who would think? They do these all over the country, so that sparked that memory when you were telling me where your your interest uh, in history sprang from. Now, Debbie, have you always wanted to be a writer? And if no. not, could you, could you share with our listeners what inspired you to want to write? Okay, this is uh, not your average story. Um, in 2009, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I went through the surgery and began chemotherapy. Well, the first night after my first chemotherapy treatment, I started having these dreams where characters were telling me their stories. Wow. No, it's very strange. I totally ignored them for uh, two years, uh, just you know, continued having these dreams, not every night, but, you know, quite often. And then after a couple of years, I would tell, you know, friends and, you know, that I had these dreams and someone suggested that I start writing them down. And that's what actually began the whole process. Oh, my goodness. Now, did you talk to any physicians and did they tell you that that's happened to other people? I was told that it is a sort of a side effect uh, from the chemotherapy that some people have chemo brain, which means that they forget things easily, and other people have, you know, different reactions to the chemotherapy, and this one is mine. Why? You know, that is amazing. You hear people, when people go through different surgeries, anesthesia might have different uh, effects on them. You just hear different things. Or head injury can totally change somebody's personality. That is very interesting. So for two years, it must have been gnawing where you would think it would give you unrest. And to get the rest, you would have to let these characters somehow bring them to life. Now, where did the genesis, Debbie, or the ideal for the Kiss Me Chronicles, where did that come from? Well, the very first story in the Kiss Me Chronicles is kind of my story um, told um, through someone, you know, through this woman's eyes. Um, She also had breast cancer, and it was a reaction in there that um, her husband gave her, but um, in my case it was just, you know, this made-up 
part, I should say. Um, but after that, the rest of the stories in the Kiss Me Chronicles are all totally what characters came and told me their stories. You know, this I'm 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 still intrigued by your these characters coming to you this way. I've heard so many writers who didn't go through and they had no medical uh, influence, but they'll say that their characters literally speak to them, and they have to tell their story, or they don't get. It's like no peace. They 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 come in their dreams. They just they don't go away until they write their story, which I find absolutely phenomenal. That only happened with me with my first novel. And it's like you have to tell their story. They're literally guiding guiding you uh, 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 along. I just find that absolutely amazing. So this is what I wanted yes. to ask you next. You didn't set out to be a writer. You told us you had a love of history growing up in Philadelphia. Where did you learn? And this wasn't a question I was going to ask you in advance. But So where did you learn, like, the art? How long did it take you? And where did you learn the art, the craft, of developing a novel? Well, my first four books are self-published. Um, I, you know, went out and found, you know, an avenue in which to um, get my books out there. My last four are all published through Bitten Press, LLC, Bitten as in You've Been Bitten. Um, those books I have not been able to not write. So I guess wow. in answer to your question, uh, once I gave in to writing, you know, once uh, I allowed the characters to actually, you know, take over my life, so to speak, these last four books, I found the exact same thing that you're describing, um, not being able to sleep. They wake me up and insist that I get up and, and you know, write what they've just told me. Um, I found the exact same thing that you're talking about. I think once you um, or once I gave in to them, they they do. They take over what, you know, your life. <laughs> yeah, it, I just, your story is very, is a very interesting story. And, I, and one thing, as you're marketing your work, that's something you could leverage because that not everybody doesn't have that that uh that same genesis for how they started writing that you do now could you please introduce us oh oh to, 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 before I wanted to go on so developing the novels though to actually the craft of writing learning first second third person learning plotting learning setting learning dialogue uh these types of things that are part of the craft learning pacing uh, the, uh these types of things did that come natural to you, or did you take classes? How did you learn that? Nope, I haven't taken any writing courses at all. Um, but I can tell you that reading, actually reading good literature, um, I'm absolutely hooked on Sylvan Raynard. Um, he has written the Gabriel series, and now he is reading, uh, writing a new series, the Florentine series. He writes so well that I actually learned a lot from just reading him. Ah, and I would, I would concur that reading is a great way to learn. It is a great way to learn a craft, and then you learn more about outlines and 
characterization and different things to help you with your plotting and your pacing. Now, could you introduce us to Julia Johnson and Grace and Parker? What are they like, Debbie, and what drives them? Well, Grayson is very wealthy. He has uh, his own company, and he, you know, he, he's he's very charismatic. He is very interested. Well, he had a, a, a rough uh, part of his life. He lost his wife to cancer, so he spent his time raising his daughter and not really concentrating on his own personal life. He threw himself into his work and into just raising his daughter. So once he gets to a point in his life where, you know, he can, you know, maybe look for companionship because his daughter is grown now on her way to college, he finally goes on a dating site to, you know, look around. Well, he finds Julia Johnson, who is a woman who is a breast cancer survivor, and she has just gone on a website as well to try and find someone to spend her life with. And that's where they find each other. But what really draws them together is Julia, in her um, uh, you know, information that she put on the site, she says a line that is something that his wife had said. Wow. Now, Ju- right in. Wow. Now, Julia, she is a breast cancer survivor, but what what does she do? Does, does is she was she is she like did, is she a, a, a does her has her first husband passed? Was she, is she a mother with children? Is she a career woman running her own business? What what what's what is she doing? Okay, she was uh she is also the CEO of a company. And so, yeah, she is a career woman. She does have children, but her husband actually, uh, while she was going through her treatments, he just couldn't take uh, the, you know, the the knowing that she wasn't what he called a whole woman anymore, and he left. Wow. Wow. Yep. So, but but before she. do you delve, do you dive into that the, her relationship or Grayson Grayson's relationship with his first wife? Do you touch on that any in the novel, or do you just start with them? No. Um, once they've met, yeah, they go back. You know, I go back into what you know his relationship. I mean, he and his wife just had an absolute perfect relationship um, until you know she passed, and he stayed with her and. You know, he was just a wonderful husband to her the whole time she was sick. Where Julia has the opposite happen. He kind of leaves her, you know, to fend for herself the whole time. So that's the comparison is that her man wasn't good and Grayson is a good man. Okay. Okay, I got to ask you this. They met, They meet online. And we see the match.com. Uh, commercials, and I know as a freelance writer myself, I know that some of these sites, and I don't know, it, it, I'm not saying Match.com does this because I don't know, 
but they will have writers write different things for them. And some people have people write their profiles for them. Some people have people write actually the, the emails that they send people. So they're really, you're like, oh, wow, what a great, swell person. And it's not really who you think they are. People uh, also are, are deceptive sometimes when they describe themselves online because you don't you don't you don't see them or a picture that they show might not be them or it might be 15 years old so i wanted to ask you because this is something i could see any writer could take this and run with it in a novel but do they encounter any of the relationship communication mishaps that some other online couples do? do they do they go through any of that well she does meet up with a couple of men prior to meeting Grayson. So she, uh, you know, goes on a couple of dates where um, she also sees kind of what you're speaking of. Um, You know, the person wasn't what they had said in their profile. So, yeah, I would imagine that happens quite a lot. I've actually not gone on dating sites, but I do know a lot of people who have. And so I kind of drew from their experiences when I was writing this. Okay. Which of the short stories in the book uh, did you write first? Um, I I did write Kiss Me Long, Hard, and Often first, Julia and Grayson's story. Okay. Now I want to have to ask you this. Uh, as as a as a uh, sister writer, I know I have my own uh, my own experience with this, but I wanted to ask you, which form, Debbie, did you have you found more challenging? If you find either more challenging, you might say neither was challenging for you. But if so, which would you find more challenging to write, right. short stories or a full length novel? Actually, um, I have written a couple very short stories. Um, one is a free read on my Facebook page, um, and one I gave to um, my publisher for a, a free read on their blog. And I actually found writing the very short story very challenging because I I am used to taking a long time to, you know, develop the character and the situation. And to write a very short story, I'm talking, you know, three to 5,000 words, is much more difficult than writing 80,000 words, just in my opinion. And, and, I, and I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you. And even like a, a poem is like, oh, my God. You would think it would be easier, but it's like, oh, my gosh. You just have a, just this short span of time to connect the reader bring the character fully to life and tell this story in just so many few words and few pages. I, I agree with you. But that that also makes writing a novel because every page of a novel has, novel has to be tight as well. Um, but but I commend you. You're, you're a very prolific writer from two, to have written as many stories as you have since 2009 or 2010, whenever you started writing, is pretty impressive. Could you give us a brief synopsis of Romancing Broadway? Oh, okay, yeah, no problem. That's probably, well, that's the newest one, and so it's it's also my favorite so far. Um, Romancing Broadway takes place in New York City and in Italy. Um, 
Samantha West is uh, a Midwestern girl, and she comes to New York to go to college, and she wants to uh, star on Broadway. This is her dream. Well, she meets a man in a in an unusual way. She thinks that he's kind of stalking her, and his name is Cesare Botari. Well, it co- turns out that Cesare is actually the money behind an off-Broadway play that she has now gotten a, a role in. So that's how their relationship starts. Uh, she doesn't understand uh, you know, that he he's doing everything for her to help her make things easier for her so that she can concentrate on her craft. But she looks at everything that he does as interference and controlling. Well, through a, an unfortunate accident that her roommate has, she blames Cesare, thinking that it's another one of his interferences. So he leaves and goes back to Italy. Leaving her, yeah, to figure out what to do next. Wow. So she seems like she she needs to control things, and any any input she gets from somebody else is seen as a um, like a threat. Uh, Yeah. Wow. She wants to be. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. She wants to be what? She wants to be independent. She wants to do things yeah. personally. And sometimes that can keep us from some very good things. Um, now, how do Samantha, you're talking about her roommate, you sort of led into my next question. How do Samantha and Gabby, how do they complement each other? And how do they conflict with each other? Well, Gabby and Samantha have been friends for years, and they both went to New York together. Um, Samantha, like I said, she goes to college. She goes to become an actress. And Gabby gets a job, a good job, so that she can basically, you know, support them living in New York City. Um, Samantha's family, her parents help her with, you know, rent and that sort of thing. So Gabby is actually paying the utilities and and food and and stuff like that. Um, They are the best of friends. So uh, their little apartment is only one bedroom. They both sleep in the same bedroom. Um, it's, It's a very unique relationship that they have because they get along so well. They've actually never had a crossword between them. They oh, always, okay. yeah. They work everything out. They they are very good to each other. Okay, so they and Gabby does get her big break. It's that she. I was going to ask you. It sounds like you answered the question. They both come to New York City, or where are they both from? Did they grow up as as uh, kids together, going to school together? And where are they both from? We know they're in New York now, but where are they right. both from? They're from the Midwest. They they grow up right around the Mississippi River. So oh. they have a very small town where everybody knows everyone, and that's why um, Samantha has to get out of there. She just feels like she is this big city, you know, uh, I want, you know, the Broadway life. It's in her blood, and she does thrive there. She loves the city. Okay. And so G- Gabby, they both go 
they both want to be Samantha wants to be on Broadway. Gabby gets a good job. So does she get does Gabby's dream that she came to New York City for, does she get her big break? And then if so, what happens after she gets her big break? Well, Gabby really she is happy working. That's that's what she's always wanted to do. And she does end up getting promotions and she ends up with a really good job that she is thrilled with. And she does end up meeting a man herself. So um, she she does get her her dreams fulfilled also, yeah. Okay. And and but I don't want to give the story away. That nothing like the, her, their relationships or either one of them getting a big break. It doesn't start to tear at their friendship. No. Oh, no, okay. Not at, okay. Yeah, there's no okay. way to do that. This story also has two endings. You get two completely different endings. So that's what's unique about romancing Broadway. Both endings are in the book. So you can pick the one that you prefer. Oh, very interesting. That's a that's a new twist. Is that something you see more writers do? I've 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 have I seen that with a movie before where they're like which how do you think this is going to go? And then you you watch it that way or however you choose it. Are you seeing that more authors are doing that? Um I actually haven't and when I when I presented this to my publisher, uh she actually said, "Well, pick one. I we're not we're we putting both in the book." And I said, "Yeah, we're putting both in the book." <laughs> okay. I like your I like your creativity. You have a creative mind. Is um, now Shadows of Him is a is sort of a departure or a turn away from your other books. Is this your is Shadows of Him? Is this your first time uh, d- diving into science fiction writing? Um, yeah, he, uh, I had not done that before, um, and this one was kind of a surprise because uh, when. Alexander first started telling me his story. Um, I I kind of got confused when he was talking about ghosts and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, this is uh, a different, a whole other avenue. Now, Zan, I have to tell you, when I was doing the research for uh, your this interview with in looking through sh- your different books and shadows of him, and I'm like, whoa. She sort of did a switch here. Now, Zan reminds me of a vampire and that his his nature, what he is, it makes it hard for him to enjoy a deep relationship just, just based on what he is. Is he somewhat of a vampire, Debbie? And if not, what is Zan? Okay, Zan um, is a throwback, so to speak, uh, he actually lived in Salem, Massachusetts during the witch trials. Now, he was bewitched by a witch, a Salem witch, and uh, he just keeps coming back. He sails through time. So his problem is he never knows when he's going to pop into the world and when he's going to pop out of it. Uh, so, okay, where is he when he's not in the world then? He doesn't know when he's going to come in. He doesn't know what time period he's going to land in. Where is he when he's not here? Do you cover that in the story? 
Yeah, he's in what he describes as a misty place where he can see kind of what's going on, but he can't impact anything because he has no form with which to work with. It's almost just like his mind is there. His mind can see what's happening, but he doesn't have a body to do anything with. Exactly. Do you? T- so, what are some knows, of the time period? No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. He knows. He gets a shadow uh, when he knows, or, or that's what tells him that he's about to leave. He just gets this feeling, and he knows that he'll be going any minute. So he has to kind of wrap up whatever it is he's doing because he will be leaving. Wow. So he he lived, you say, back during the, the, the Salem witch hunts, which you have to correct me. Was that like, uh, are we talking the 1700s, right? Yes, yeah, 1692. Okay, okay. So he lived, he lived then, um, and then does he come, when he comes back, he he has no control over this. None. When he comes back, does he ever come back like to 2000-something, 1900s? Well, he, what happened to him was um, he, well, he's actually engaged to uh, one of the accused witch's granddaughters. This is how the whole story basically starts. So um, he the witch that bewitches him in the first place, um, he kind of had a, a one-night affair with her, a one-night stand, and she wanted it to be more than that. But he actually loves Sarah Nurse, uh, Rebecca Nurse's granddaughter. And Rebecca was hung as a witch. So he, you know, he kind of tells this real witch that uh, he's going to stick with Sarah. He's going to marry her. And so the real witch is the one that sets this all off. Now, he doesn't know when he's coming back. He doesn't know. But it does happen linearly. He does, you know, when he leaves in 1692, he comes back in 1800. He comes back. He doesn't pop in and out, you know, in the future and go back. It's all linear. Does he... This is very. This story is very interesting to our off-the-shelf listeners. We're talking about Shadows of Him, written by Debbie Zello. Does he, when he comes back, does he always come back into the lives of people who are somehow generations later connected to the people he initially met in, like, 1692? Well, I, if I tell you all of that, it'll kind of give away the, okay. Okay. the story. But what I will okay. tell you is that he, um, when he pops back in, see, he was a doctor in 1692, so it's what he knows. So every oh. time he comes, he does continue to be a doctor. He did end up going back to uh, uh, med school so that he can keep up with the new advances in medicine. But because he he knows medicine, that's what he always comes back and tries to get back into being a doctor. Okay, very very intriguing story. Now I don't I don't want you to get a story away. But what is it about? Is it ailing courtier that uh, Dan can't turn away from? Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, uh, it's ailing. 
Aisling, okay. And that that is she is uh, a med student and um, going to Yale University, and that is where she meets up with Zan. That's he's in this current life, and he is actually a medical examiner at the time, and he is used to just hooking up with girls, and because he knows he can't have a lasting relationship because he's going to pop out again. So he sees Aisling and he just thinks she is wonderful. So he wants to hook up with her. And Aisling is the kind of girl that doesn't do that. It sounds like his personality or what got him in trouble in the first place, why the witch, he has a one-night stand, the witch wants a, a long-term relationship. He doesn't want that. That got him in trouble in the first place. It sounds like he's still doing this. And it's, when he when he comes back here, is he always a young man? For some reason, when we first started talking about Shadows of Him, I saw Zan as a guy in his 50s. Is he always like a, a 20s, 30s when he comes yeah. back? Yeah, oh, he okay. always as, and he always looks himself. And, you know, I mean, his clothes change. He changes his hairstyle. But he is always that same guy from 1692. Wow. How much would you say, I saw this movie, I didn't read the book, I heard the book was awesome, I wasn't crazy about the movie, The Time Traveler's Wife. How much would you say, similar to this popping in and out, and again, he couldn't control it, but he was, that guy was able to have a family uh, for so long. Um, Would you say to to readers, how similar or dissimilar would you say it is to The Time Traveler's Wife from that, that, popping in and out, uh, could you be in long enough to develop a relationship, get married, have a family, or not? Right. It's it, it's not, well, he, he would pop in and out at all different time periods, um, and he, and I liked that story in that when he popped in and out, he was naked, which I thought was very interesting. His clothes couldn't travel through time, just his body. Um, uh-huh. But um, in Zan's case, like I said, his travel is linear, and his was because of a witch's curse. So that does play into it because when um, – see, no one else has taken the time that Aisling took to figure out what happened to him. Uh. She actually, right. She actually um, – you know, once she and he do become, you know, very close, um, she then, even though it's only for a few weeks that she knows him, she wants to figure out why. And what actually does it for her is um, Zan has the ability to make anyone that he comes in contact believe what he see, what he wants them to believe. That wow. Yeah. So he takes her to his house that he says he's living in, and when she goes to this house, it's it's a Victorian house in New Haven, Connecticut, which um, is just gorgeous. It's all been redone. She sees books on the bookshelf. It's, you know, that whole thing. Well, when he disappears and she is calling and looking for him and asking people if they've seen him, she goes back to this house, she takes a bus because she doesn't have a car. 
she goes back to the house and finds it, and it's not beautiful. It's all run down. And oh my it's, goodness! It's so she knows that there is something really odd going on here because she had just been in that house. This would be a great movie. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and it is from what you're saying. I can see where it's different from the time traveler's wife, which I heard the book was awesome. Again, I, 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 the movie people said they were disappointed, but the the book was was awesome. That that would be oh my goodness! Part of that reminds me of a movie I saw, the uh, Cabin by the Lake. It sort of reminds me of, of that. Now, what have readers been saying about Shadows of Him? What have you been hearing from readers about the book, Debbie? Well, um, I I know that it, you know it is historically accurate in that. Um, you know, like I said, Rebecca Nurse was hung as a witch. She actually did have a granddaughter named Sarah. So I tried to keep it accurate to that point. Um, of course, there's no Dr. Alexander Blackburn in in 1692. But, um, you know, people do like historically accurate books. Uh, you know, if they are based on history in the first place. But um, I also think that a lot of people enjoy the fact that it, when I do a book about a locality, you know, like New Haven, um, it, it is it it does have things in it about New Haven, restaurants mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So how I much, do. T- Go ahead. Now, how much time do you spend? I, I, we had another author on who loved to write books that had a, a novels with a historic touch to them, and readers seem to really appreciate that. But they can spot if you are off on one little thing. How how much research, how much time do you spend pouring through history books to as you're writing these novels that are based rooted in history? A lot. I spend a lot of time um, as. The stories are being told to me. I do go, you know, online to make sure that, you know, uh, if I do put a restaurant in there or 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 whatever, that, you know, I've looked at the menu so that I can say, you know, that they did have an oyster dish on the menu before I wow. write. Wow. Yeah, that is important. I I want to know that if I go to the restaurant that you wrote about, and if I look at the menu and and you said there were oysters there I want to see oysters <laughs> so yeah I do spend quite a bit of time um if at all possible I go to the location for instance um several well Elizabeth is a, a civil war story and it's written in Gettysburg part of it takes place in Gettysburg so I have been to Gettysburg many times so I know exactly where I'm talking about when I'm writing the story. Wow. I have to ask you then, uh, did you unleash or unrein your love for American history while you were you were creating and writing Raising Wren and Cowboys? Anybody who would be a fan of Debbie Zello, they don't know. I mean, they could come along for the ride because you are really exploring very your creativity as a writer. But... 
here, here now we, we're talking about Shadows of Him science fiction and then uh, Raising Wren and uh, Cowboys, a very, very different uh, read. Did you, did you like, really stick to the American history, or was this sort of like a departure uh, for you when you were writing Raising Wren and Cowboys? Totally different history. Yeah, um, Raising Wren is actually the the sequel to the Viscount's Vices. Um, the Viscount's Vices is uh, the same story told by two different people. So the first part of the story is told from his point of view, and the second half of the story is told by her point of view. And in Raising Wren and Cowboys, Raising Wren is told by the uh, nanny's point of view. And Cowboys is a separate story, and you have no idea what, what would, why they were put together until the very end of Cowboys. That's when you know why. So um, they're not historically accurate those two books only because um, they are totally and completely fiction. Um, but in the Viscount's Vices, he is a, um English Viscount, which means he's waiting for his father to pass away so that he can become a duke. And the actual um, house that I, I name in the book is actually a castle in England, and the duke that occupied the castle was killed during King Henry VIII's reign, and no, no one replaced him. But all of that is accurate. There was a duke by that name. You are really fascinating me with your history. Now, do readers, uh, Debbie, do readers need to read the Viscount's Vices before they start reading its sequel, Raising Wren and Cowboys? Will they... Do they? Is it necessary to read that book first to to really grasp and understand raising Ren and cowboys? No, actually, you don't. I did write them all as standalone stories, but um, in the in raising Ren, after she's telling her story, um, at the end of that, it kind of goes back to the Viscount's vices, in that those characters come back in to the story um, because actually, you know, she she impacts them terribly, the, um, you know, Brooke and William, who are the two characters in The Viscount's Vices, because she actually takes their son. So, yeah, she kidnaps their son. So um, in Raising Wren, it tells her story of how she gets him, and it's a dark, very dark, um, she's not a nice person at all. <laughs> it was the first uh, time that I wrote something that was, um, you know, really this dark. It was very uh, interesting. So can you give us a brief overview? You've given us a little bit of detail. Uh, it was to come down to the last few minutes of the day show, but can you give us a brief overview of Raising Wren and Cowboys. Certainly. Um, in Raising Wren, the story begins with her, um, you know, 
do, doing her, oh gosh, how do I explain this? This one's hard without giving everything away. Um, she takes their son and she disappears. And when you say uh, and, her, can you give us the name of the character, please? I'm, Not to interrupt you. Oh, no problem at all. I wrote this quite a while ago, so actually I forget their names, too. Um, darn. I can't remember her name. Was it I'll Georgia? It I'm okay. sorry? Um, Was it Georgia? That's the second story. That is okay. uh, Raisin. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, sorry, that's Cowboys. That one is easier only because that one takes place in the Colorado area. And okay. um, she gets, she buys a horse farm. She wants to raise horses. And through her story, that that one is really interesting because I do take you into what it's like to raise horses. So that's that's a fun story. And, yeah, that's Georgia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the other lady, she she what is she doing? This this other woman with the dark character. Oh, okay. What does she do? She well, she her sister is actually Allison, and she is the nanny to this viscount and his wife. And what okay. she and she ends up getting the job. So um, you know she is hired as the nanny, but Amy is the one, that's the name I was searching for. Ah, okay, Amy, Amy, okay. Amy is the actual one who ends up going to be the nanny, because she, she, oh. gets, she gets her sister out of the picture before her sister can take the job. Wow. They have a very interesting beginning to their lives, because Amy and Allison are twins, and they are identical, and they were living a very nice life, and their parents were in a car accident, and they were killed. Mm. So their aunt comes from England, and she um, can only adopt one of them. She just doesn't have the money to take them both. So she takes Allison, and she leaves Amy behind. So Amy is raised in the foster care system by people who are not very nice. And mm. so she her life really in, you know, in in terrible, terrible stories. And she does go in through the book and tells the story. But this wow. is a story of redemption. She does find redemption. And that's because she ends up in... Um, a small town in um, northern New York, and she meets a um, pastor of the local church, and he he helps her to see and find her redemption. Wow, you write some very very intriguing and fascinating stories. I'm so glad we had you on, Debbie Zello, on Thanks. off the shelf, Debbie. Your your stories are very. Very, very interesting. Now, Georgia, she seems like she has spunk when I was researching for, for the interview again. Is she more independent than most other women in the town where she lives? Yeah, she, in fact, when she gets there, she is just this little teeny tiny lady, all right, and she's young. 
and she inherits all of this money, first of all, from her parents, and then she is sent, once her parents pass away, um, she is sent to live with her grandparents, and she doesn't understand them because they didn't have a good relationship with her parents. But because they are her only living relative, that's where she's sent to live. So she, she comes from the east, but she's sent to live in Arizona. And when her grandparents die, that's what that's the catalyst for her. She she understands in their deaths that um that you know, that they were good people. It was just a misunderstanding. Well, she inherits this fortune because she is the only grandchild of these grandparents, but she hasn't found a home, a place where she feels, you know, totally comfortable. So she just buys a, a a car and sets off to find home. And she travels north, and every now and then she stops and gets out of the car and looks around, and but she doesn't hear the, you know, the or the wind whispering to her or anything she just can't find home and then all of a sudden gets out of the car and she hears the whisper that says home so that's where wow. she starts now oh my everybody i'll think she's crazy because a she knows nothing about horses nothing at all wow and, oh my god uh, and she's this little teeny tiny thing and she finds this great piece of property. She buys the largest horse farm in um, the whole state of Colorado. And she has is a she, very interesting... Is she related to Amy or Allison? No. Um, but at, at towards the very end of the book, um, in Allison's book, Allison and Amy's book, um, Amy or Allison ends up marrying the um bodyguard of the duke to 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 make a long story short and he is from the Colorado Montana area. Ah. And so um that's how they make the connection. Okay, now I have to ask you, we're coming down to the wire. I could just go on and on with you. Your stories are so interesting. Does Slade think that a woman has a certain place or role to fill? She's a little put off to me by Georgia running a, a horse breeding ranch. Is he the kind of guy, you know, I think a woman should just be at home? Well, he he doesn't understand why she's... You know, even starting this, he keeps saying to her, "You're, you know, you're crazy. This, we can't do this. How can we go and buy these, um, you know, studs and start this this farm?" And he just doesn't get it because he too he feels that a man should support the woman, and you know, your your wife should stay home and raise your kids, and he doesn't get that um, this woman is so fiercely independent and so mm. keen of doing this herself, uh, you know, he says to her, what do you know about raising horses? And she said, nothing. I don't have to. That's what I've got you for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't understand that. Oh, my goodness. I, you, you, your imagination, will there be another book in the series, uh, Debbie? Do you plan oh, to write another book? Yeah, there's no more books in this series, 
I have just, um, I write predominantly contemporary romance and historical romance, but I'm finding that um, as an author, I can't, I have to broaden that more because romance and historical romance is, you know, it has its place. But um, in order to make a living, which is what I'd like to be able to do, I think you have to write in more genres than just that. So I have just submitted to my publisher my first erotic romance. Uh, okay. And this story is going to be fabulous. Uh, you said Shadows of Him should be a movie. This one really should be a movie. And I'm hoping that, you know, with the right um, audience that that might happen. This one is called Why We Don't Die in Dreams. Wow. What a so, title. <laughs> thank you. Um, and what a it, title. And thank you very much. Um, I liked it too. <laughs> but uh, this one is, uh, it's not like anything else I've written, and it's also not like anything else I've seen written. So it sh it should be out, I would think, the end of March, beginning of April. And, um, you know, it, it's it's going to be awesome. The erotic part of it, it, it's not in your face. I like to call it classy erotica because even though it's uh, very, um, you know, earthy, I'll put it that way, it's not a disgusting erotic, if you if you understand my meaning. Right, 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 and right. Also writing a children's book, a young adult book that okay. is a shoot of uh, The Wizard of Oz. Oh! So, yeah. Man, your imagination is churning, boy. Can you share <laughs> four to five tips? We've only got like two two to three minutes left, but if you could quickly share four to five tips that you found effective at getting the word out about your books that some of our listeners might be able to benefit from. Okay. Um, in getting the word out, social media is, you know, I mean, a, a face account and author account and author account on Amazon um, I also do uh, book signings um, in Barnes and Noble and smaller bookstores that I have gone out to with my books and asked them to you know do book signings with me um, I also think that Writing every day, even if you're only writing 500 words, is the most important thing you can do because it gets you into the practice of writing. And even if you write it and then later go back and read it and say, oof, that, that was horrible, and you erase it, at least you are doing the writing every day. That's the most important thing. And okay. Uh, okay. your friends. Tell your friends, get the word out, please, please spread the word, spread the word, spread the word. Yes, yes, passing out bookmarks, leaving free things, getting out there, attending writers' events, festivals, getting the word out. It is work on and offline, doing interviews, et cetera, blogging, getting the bloggers, the book bloggers, getting the word out. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get copies of your books, Debbie? They are on Amazon and Barnes & Noble websites. Um, also, all of the usual smaller um, avenues you can, you know, get them. And, um, you know, uh, 
email me, dzello number one at at gmail dot com. <laughs> okay. All right. We have been honored. What a show, what a show. I this was a treat for me. Uh about twelve years in and this was really, really a treat. Every single book that we talked about that Debbie Zello, our off the shelf special guest today, has authored is very interesting. Even the book that she's working on now, an erotica book and a children's book, two books. Uh, one uh, should be out around March. You can check Debbie out online at DebbieZello.com, and that's D-E-B-B-I-E-Z, as in zebra, E-L-L-O.com. Again, that's D-E-B-B-I-E-Z-E-L-L-O.com. I'm glad she had a strong voice, strong story, strong creativity, strong imagination, just a wonderful, awesome guest. So we thank Debbie Zello for being here with us on Off the Shelf, and we thank each of you, our listeners, for tuning in to Off the Shelf. Please tell book lovers everywhere, your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends, anybody you know who appreciates good story, to tune in to Off the Shelf, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday mornings. Again, it's Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time. You will want to be here where we will continue to bring you fabulous guests. We've had some awesome guests on the show, and they all always share something that you can learn from and you can uh, tips or advice that you can start to take advantage of to help yourself. So, again, I, I encourage you to tune in off the shelf Saturday mornings, 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much, Debbie. To our Thank listeners, you. thanks for having me. This was wonderful. It was it was a pleasure having you. To our listeners, I always tell you, you're awesome. You're amazing. I hope one day you fully grab a hold of that. Go out and create an awesome day for yourself, Debbie. I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Thank you. <laughs>